Hi, my name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. So we're preaching today, we're going to be looking at the gift of hope, and up to this point, um, Jimmy has looked at joy, and he gave us a, an extraordinarily long uh, definition of joy, <laughs> encompassing hope and a few other things in the process, but it was good, and one of the things that I came away with his was that joy, joy is confidence in something other than myself, right? And that's what allows me to have joy. And then Tuck preached on love, and the thing that... The thing that I came away with is that love, by definition, is sacrificial. That which is love is sacrificial. And I've, I've been pondering and mulling over this gift of hope for three weeks now. And I'm going to start with an analogy because I feel, I feel um, coming here that this analogy, maybe you can understand um, where I'm coming from. Years ago, my family and I were, when I was still singing with my parents, we were up in New York State on a singing tour, and my dad decided to go, while we were there, go visit Niagara Falls. Now, I had heard about Niagara Falls. I had seen pictures of Niagara Falls. I had even talked to people who had been there. But none of that is the same as being at Niagara Falls. When I stood at the edge of the falls, and, I, and you, can look down the, you can look down that cliff, and you see a river that's just madly rushing towards the edge, and, there, and you can see six feet of water, this deep of water, just a sheet of it going over the edge, and it's, and it's terrifying. And it's awe-inspiring, and it's incredible. And nothing is the same as being there. And so having been looking at this gift of hope and, and the, the overwhelmingness, frankly, the overwhelmingness of trying to extract from what the scripture says something that we can take home with us that will, that will impact us. This is what I felt like. I felt like I brought Niagara Falls with me, right? I've been sitting beside this torrent of water and all I could manage to get out of it was about a cup. And I'm supposed to come here and I'm supposed to present this water in such a way that you will leave with the effect that it's had on me. And I frankly don't know how to do that. And so I was, when I was out milking this morning, I was kind of complaining to God about it. Oh, I don't feel, I don't want And as I'm praying to God and complaining to him that I don't feel up to it, I suddenly remembered Moses. And I remember God getting angry at Moses because he said, I told you to go, say what I'm going to say, and I'm going to let you know what it is. And I shut up. So here's my, here's my hope for you today. Because Jesus said, if we give a glass of water in his name, that is a reward. I don't expect you to go home with this, even the sense that I had of sitting beside the torrent of the scriptures pondering because it takes a long time of thinking about it to get there but maybe you can go home with a refreshing refreshing glass of water from today and it can be hopeful for you so starting off the first thing we need to do is say what is hope and for two weeks i could not figure that out and here's why 
Um, some of the songs we sang this morning, a lot of the Christmas songs have the word hope in it. We talk about hope. We say, ask a five-year-old or a four-year-old in the room today, what are you hoping for right now? Where's he going to go? He's going to go straight to the Christmas tree. Oh, man, I hope my... And then if you ask a, uh, a college student, what are they hoping for? Well, they're hoping for, for a, a good entrance and good, and good scores. And, and you ask... So different people are different places, but we use the word hope. We hope for this. We hope for that. We hope that our children will turn out walking with the Lord. We hope that our, that our nation will come back to God. We hope things. But what is hope? Like, I, was, I struggled. I could not get my hands around what it was. The closest I could get to is this. In the song, A Holy Night, it says, A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. And then when I say that, everyone in here knows what it means. You can't define it. But when I say a thrill of hope, you know what it means. And that's what I run up against. I looked in the dictionary, and it was using the word hope to try to define hope. I'm like, I don't think that's how it works. And it wasn't until I went back to the scriptures that I actually was able to come up with a working definition. But it wasn't what I was expecting. What is hope? It's so simple that it seemed unreal to me. Do you know what it means when you go to the New Testament and you look up the Greek word that is used for hope in the Greek New Testament? It simply means, this is it, expectancy. In other words, anticipation, we would say. It is literally using the word that your five-year-old is using when they're expressing what they want for Christmas. What Jimmy read this morning, that word is there. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. That is expectancy. What was remarkable to me was this. In my mind, through the years, when I say I hope, or I speak of faith and I speak of hope, I kind of equate them to be the same thing. Because I've never really figured out what it was before. But this is what I discovered. Hope and faith are not the same thing. And we're going to, this is just setting the stage for what I wanted to actually talk about, but I needed to get there. If you turn to, you don't have to, I'm just going to read it like, like Jimmy was doing. I went to Peter. Peter's got a lot of good stuff about hope. First Peter 1, um, in uh, verse 20 and 21, he was chosen before the foundation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for you who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. So listen, so that your faith and hope are in God. Peter very distinctly uses two different words there. And it took me a good portion of this time that I was spending um, studying, trying to process through what that actually meant. How does that work for us? Because it's easy to say something. It's not so easy to actually make it functional in our lives. And I love practical. I want, it some, I want something to be able for me to be able to get a hold of it and utilize it. All right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set the stage for hope this way. There are, there are building blocks to get to hope. First, you have to start with this. You have to start with truth. Now, let's not go to the spiritual realm of truth. Let's just simply lay truth out. There are things, there are things that are fundamentally true 
um, I was at Chip Oaks yesterday wearing my cowboy hat and Ronnie and Sharon's daughter, Michelle, looked at me and then did a double take and she looked at me again. She's like, I didn't recognize you under the hat. And I said, what, you mean if I cover the bald spot, you don't know who I am? It is fundamentally true that I am bald. There are things that are simply true. And we could go to the spiritual, we could talk about God existing, etc. But in this case, when we're dealing with faith and hope, this is where we're going to start. We're going to start with something that is just simply true. If that thing is true, whatever it is, you can believe it to be true. And then, if you have the belief that the truth is real, you can act on it. You can act on that truth that you believe in, and that's faith. The faith that you're acting out by believing can be anticipated the end of it. That's hope. All right. Let me give you as an as an actual analogy in my life. When my wife and I were getting married, we were engaged to be married, and one of the things that my wife said to me, she said, "I would really like you to do," which I didn't want to do, but she asked me to. She said, "I'd like you to plan the honeymoon," and I actually did. Like I'm as surprised as anybody. Um, We both loved the stories of Anne of Green Gables, and we both had never been to Prince Edward Island, but we wanted to go to Prince Edward Island. So I was like, hey, that's a good place to go. Turns out it's not terribly warm in June, but anyway. um, So, I had never been to Prince Edward Island. This is the analogy. Other people had been. They spoke with authority. They were eyewitnesses of the truth that Prince Edward Island existed. But I had never been there. So I had to choose whether to believe that they were telling the truth or not. I chose to believe that they were telling the truth. That was my belief. I believed the truth that Prince Edward Island existed. And then I acted on it by getting a hold of some what, trip advisor, whatever we called it back in the day, the things that, that AAA would put out, and you could go on there and find places to go before there was internet and all that. And I called places, and I got a hold, and I organized my money and my time, and we had a cabin there, and I paid for it, and I got the, the, uh, the plane tickets. That was me living out faith in the belief that Prince Edward Island was a real place. Now, faith, though, in that situation was not hope. Here's where hope came in. For the next three months, guess what I was thinking about? Guess what I was anticipating? A week in this place with my wife. It was the anticipation. If you had asked me during that time, hey, where are you going from honeymoon? Oh, let me tell you. Man, I've got this cool cabin. I mean, all the details were in my head. That's hope as opposed to faith. I had to get that out of the way so we had some idea where we're going with this. Now, um, the second question to ask before we get to the passage that I'm going to read from is this. Why is Christ's birth so indelibly tied to hope? And if you're sitting here and you're like, I didn't know that it was tied to hope. Let me give you a few. From a holy night, a thrill of hope from little town of Bethlehem, the hopes and fears of all the years. To us, a child of hope is born. A beautiful star, the hope of rest. And then one of them in one of the songs we sang this morning that I hadn't thought about to list was in there as well. Hope is tied so tightly with Christ's birth that sometimes you, you kind of wonder in the rest of the, the year we talk about being hopeless, but we, don't, we only talk about hopelessness oftentimes 
in the Christmas season because it's so juxtaposed against the sensation that we're supposed to be filled with hope, that we suddenly realize what hopelessness actually is. For the Israelites, for the, for the Jewish nation living at the time when Christ would come, it was not good. They had been, they had been without a king. They had been without a prophet for 400 years. 400 years of silence, and they're desperately hanging on. Now, I'm not talking about the, the leaders who were, who were corrupt. I'm talking about the people desperately longing. And you hear it in that song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, the, the longing for something, for Messiah to come and fix the situation. Um, and so in uh, Psalm 42, that, that, or Psalm 43, that Tuck read this morning, David is going through and he's listing and he's talking about all of the things he says, um, and I'm not going to read it, but in Psalm 42, he says, Why, how long are you going to not show up? How long are you not going to be here for us? I have people saying to me, where is your God? And that literally was said. That was literally said to the Israelites um, when, the, when the Romans came in and they took a peek inside their temple. The Israelites said, don't do it. But they took a peek in there and they said, where's your God? Why? Because there was, no, there was no idol in there. There was no symbol of their God. They said, these people are atheists. They don't worship a God. So what David asked God for was actually, it actually came true. Like they said to the Israelites, where is your God? We, we can't show them to you. Oh, well, you must not have a God because our gods have temples and we have big idols and we, you know, we can see what they look like. And so for Israel in that time, they longed for Messiah. They were under oppression. The Romans, kind of tough to live under. Didn't give them a lot of leeway. And so for them, hope was tied 100% to Christ's birth. Now, when Christ does come on the scene, it's not what they're expecting, and it's going to take them a while to figure that out, kind of get their, their head together. How about the Gentiles? The Gentiles weren't looking for a Messiah, but I'll tell you one thing. The Gentiles were living in a mess. And the Gentiles were living in a world where there was no real autonomy. Rome ruled. Now, Rome had generosity, provided that you did what they said. But there was no sense of looking forward to a future hope. There was no sense of, of looking forward and saying, someday it's all going to be better. The Gentiles were hopeless. And, and uh, Paul would mention that in Ephesians. He says that you were once like this. You were without hope and without God in the world. And I came to you as the apostle to the Gentiles, and I brought the hope of Christ to you. So when we look back, we look back at, we look back at Christ's birth, and we tie it 100% to this concept of hope. And we tie it with joy and peace and love and, and a lot of other good things. But what struck me in reading and, and studying for this is that hope is such a, uh, a vital part of that. So now we're going to get from there to the passage that we're going to be reading from, which is Matthew chapter 2. And you may say, when, we, when I read through this, you, you, you may say something like this. You may say, wow, of all the passages in the scripture that you could read about hope, why did you choose one about the wise men? Good question. It's pretty simple, actually. It's Christmas time, and I thought, this is, a, this is a great story, and the points that come out of it are accurate. Now, I will, I will um, admit to you that I prefer, much prefer, when I'm given an opportunity to preach, to be given a passage with it, like Jimmy's preaching through Mark right now. And so 
you know, hey, Micah, can you preach Mark 5 or whatever? And then I can go in there and look. It's a little harder to, to dissect it because, frankly, it's like, like I said, it's like sitting beside Niagara Falls. You got the whole scripture coming at you, and it's hard to, to channel off because everything ties everything else, and it's very easy to get lost, not lost in the weeds, but lost in the grace of God that's all through everything in the scripture. So we're going to read in Matthew chapter 2, we're going to read the story of the Magi, starting in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, Wise men from the east arrived unexpectedly in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, because out of you will come a leader who will shepherd my people, Israel. And then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me, so that I too can go and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star they had seen in the east. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed beyond measure. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. All right. So what we're going to do from this passage is, using the wise men, we're going to look at hope and aspects of it that I think are um, something that we, can, that we can learn from and walk out. Point number one, hope begins with faith. Now, you heard me just a little bit ago say that you have truth and then belief is built on truth and faith is built on that belief structure. You're acting out on your belief and then hope comes by the anticipation of the results of that faith. So hope begins with faith. Um, Colossians 1.27, one of the things that I, I hesitate, honestly I hesitate when I'm doing a topical message like this because you can say things from one passage of scripture and miss something somewhere else and you can say something that isn't true and is very unnerving in dealing with a topic that's so embedded into everything else. And I struggled with this first point for a while, but I finally came to terms with it. Um, and actually, I'll, I'll say this for what it's worth. Um, last night, Dietrich came to me and he's like, Dad, I, I read a quote from George MacDonald. And he said, it's about hope. Well, George MacDonald was instrumental, his writings were instrumental in leading C.S. Lewis to faith in Christ. And so I've read a fair amount, a lot of his stuff, but not, a, not I mean, he's he written prolifically, so I was like, I wonder what he says about it. And he handed me the quote, and I, I wanted to jump and shout, because he literally laid out in that quote what I was about to say to you. And I'm like, thank you, Lord, somebody much wiser who lived a long time ago, already figured this out and verified it for me. So 
I feel much more confident bringing these points to you today that I've that I'm not making a mistake somewhere. But I'm starting here. Hope begins with faith. Now when I say hope, I'm literally using the word anticipation because that's what the scripture uses. And we'll get to what that actually means in our life at the end. So I'm not talking about um, some mystical, spiritual. I'm simply talking about hope itself. That thing that that gives us a thrill, as the song says, that upwells in us when we see positive change about to occur. Hope begins with faith. Colossians 1.27 says that it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so I look at that and I say that that faith in Christ is what leads to that hope. We're going to be glorified because we have faith in him. And, and for me, that was verification. So how does that apply to these magi? Well, interestingly enough, in Sunday school this morning, I think I'm on track with everybody else. I was in Daniel 5. Are we together on that one? So Daniel is, is uh, dealing with Belshazzar, and he's dealing with him against the magi of his day. Now, I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again, but I can't prove it. I think that these wise men that show up are those same remnants of those same magi, and I think Daniel being there in Babylon was the catalyst that started this whole thing. And I think carrying down through the years... He gave them the scriptures. He, he's over there having visions of what's going to happen. And I think there were some of those magi that understood that this was the, the one true God and they should follow him too. And they carried that vision forward. I believe that. I can't prove it, but I'm going to speak on it today, okay? By faith, the magi were looking for a sign, perhaps for generations. Did they think it was a star? I have no idea. But they were looking for something. They are clearly there with full faith that the Messiah has been born. They know. When Jerusalem doesn't know, they know that the Messiah is around there somewhere. The King of Kings is somewhere. Now, that's faith to me. That's faith in a sense that we don't have down through the years. How many, how many, times, have, um, how many times have you known someone who carries that belief forward from their father, from their grandfather, from their great-grandfather, down through generations, that they can look back and say, I mean, I mean it, can be from, it can be from any walk of life, but, but in particular in Christianity, that you can say, man, I'm following the creator God just like my great-great-great-great-grandfather did. And I'm worshiping him and I'm reading the same Bible. These people didn't have the scriptures. These people were in a pagan culture. They come from a heathen background and yet they carried this faith forward. And when the, when the, uh, the prophecies, you know, Daniel was the one that talks about how long it's going to be until Messiah comes. Do you think they were counting the years? I kind of wonder. I kind of wonder because they're looking for a sign because when the star shows up, here's the other thing. When the star shows up, the people in Jerusalem don't see it. There's a reason for that. Here's a simple reason. God made it very clear to the Israelites, you are not to take part in astrology. Do not be looking at the stars trying to figure out the future. And yet at the same time, he puts into the works of the universe the ability to create a star so that people who have not the law, who haven't known that, the sign will be there for them that his son is on the way. I think that is incredible that he makes grace for those who do not know and he can redeem even the thing that he said don't do and bring it back to them. So God, 
gives them a message, and they're waiting for it, and they show up. Hope begins with faith. Second point, hope comes from God. Romans 15, 13. We're, gonna, we're actually going to read this passage a couple of times a day, but this is what it says. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe in him. The interesting thing with hope is that when we talk about love, we can say God is love. It is his nature. If there is any one thing that defines God to me, it is his love. You can't say love is God. That's not the same thing as saying God is love, but you can say categorically God is love. But you can't say God is hope. You can say he's a God of hope, but you can't say he is hope. Why? He's the ever-present now. He doesn't need to hope for something. He knows all things, right? He is the, he is the originator of all things. So he's not, he's, he is not, God is not hope, but God is a God of hope. So hope originates. Any hope you have, listen, your three-year-old, your three-year-old that is excitedly waiting for the present, that hope in his heart, that's from God. James says, every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. Every good gift and hope is a good thing. Humans need hope. So, the Magi are waiting. They're waiting. By faith, they're hanging on. These are the promises that they're waiting for. And a star shows up. God gets their attention. God makes the star. They don't imagine it. It's a real thing that they can see and multiples of them can see. It's not some hallucination. And they begin to act on that. I'm going to go back just a little bit to that whole thing of truth, belief, faith, and hope. There's, there's reams of philosophy that you can go through here, but let me, let me just say this. If you start, there's one great truth. Hear me what I'm saying. There's, there's one great truth that is at the bottom of everything. And it is this. It is either... God exists or he doesn't. Period. And how you answer that question defines whether you ultimately have hope or not. Years ago, um, there was a movie that came out called Seeking a Friend for the End of the World. I was dumb enough to watch it. I don't recommend it. It's a waste of time, but it did one thing. It showed me what life looks like without hope. Premises, an asteroid is coming. The asteroid's big enough that it is going to wipe out life on Earth. And they know when it's going to hit. And it, the, so the movie starts with this man looking for somebody to be with him when it ends. Because it's all going to end. And the whole movie, the whole movie is just an observation of people's reaction to the end. You follow what I'm saying? Total complete hopelessness. Here's why. When you get to the end where the asteroid strikes, it's over. There's no humans. There's no knowledge. There's no anything that we've done for hundreds and thousands of years. It's over, period, from a human perspective. The universe continues, but there's no one there to observe it. And it is heartbreaking how hopeless it feels. If you start with there is no God... You cannot get to hope. Now, people still have hope. Atheists still have hope. But you know what they hope in? They hope in something that's very temporary. This is what they hope for. They hope that their life improves. They hope that by their life being well lived, this is for an atheist that is moral and is good and solid, for a life well lived, their children will have a better place in life, right? 
but they're missing something. It doesn't matter how many generations that goes. Someday the sun burns out. And someday the universe is over and it's all black and it's all meaningless again because there was no point to it to begin with. But if you start with God exists, hope is real because he's the one in charge, not nothing. I think that's bad grammar, but it's true. All right, point three, hope comes with fear and uncertainty. Romans 5, um, if, you're, if you're following along or writing down Romans 5, um, in, chapter, or in chapter 5, verses 3 and through 5, we're going re- to read this. So, uh, we have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, listen, but we also rejoice in our afflictions. Because we know that affliction produces endurance, endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint because God's love has been poured out in our hearts. Hope comes with fear and uncertainty. When, when the wise men make the decision to leave, wherever it is that they are, I'm guessing they're upper echelon because they come with a fair amount of expensive stuff to give to Jesus. When they leave, they leave comfort and security. And they travel through difficulty and uncertainty and fear. When they get to Jerusalem, I'm guessing when they start talking to Herod, they figure out pretty quick this isn't a good place to be. And they then very quickly figure out that they're caught in a trap. Hope comes with fear and uncertainty, but they persevere. It's the same for us. When you hope, you're going to run into affliction. When you live with anticipation, that is a gift to you. The gift of hope is a gift to see you past the thing that you're going through. Landon and Courtney right now are hoping someday to get in their house again. And that's going to carry them through a great deal of trial and affliction as they go towards that hope. All right, point four. Hope leads to joy and peace. Romans 15, back to Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe in him so that you may overflow with hope. Hope leads to joy and peace. The Magi, this is one of the, you know, in the Bible, when when you're reading different sections, one of the things that you'll run across is, in this passage, is a hyphen. Verse nine, after hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, hyphen, stop. The star they had seen in the east, exclamation point. What an interesting tidbit. Like, if I was going to put information, Matthew, can you give us a little bit more about some of the other stuff? He's given the emotion of these people that we don't even know their names. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed beyond measure. Hope through the fear, through the uncertainty, through the difficulty, through the discomfort, takes them back to joy and back to peace. Were they overjoyed just because they saw the star? I think they were overjoyed to see the star because they knew they were still on the right track, that they were still following what God was having them do. And when they get to the, when they get to the house where Mary and the baby are, they kneel down. It says they were on their knees worshiping him. That's not a position that a, that a rich man gets into over a baby, right? And it was the culmination of their journey. It was also the culmination of years and years and years and years of waiting and waiting and hoping and waiting and hoping. And like Simeon said, remember when, Simeon, when, when Mary and Joseph bring Joseph, uh, Jesus to the, to the temple and Simeon says, okay, God, 
you can take me because you did what you promised. I've seen the Messiah. I think there's just that sense of, of release. Thank you. All right, Daniel, we did what we told you we were gonna do. We found him. And they go back home. Now, I want to tell you this. I got to that point in my preparation, and I was excited because I felt like these were the points that God had given me. And this is what it felt like. It felt like I'd climbed a stepladder, and I got to the top. And there wasn't anything there. I already know that. So hope leads to joy, hope leads to peace. That's good, but, but then what? And maybe, maybe for you, maybe hope leading to joy and peace is, is it. And this is, oh man, that's great. But for me, it wasn't. I got there and I thought, how does that apply? What am I going to do with this? How am I going to make this be anything different for me? And then I started thinking of other verses that have to do with hope in the New Testament. One of them that came to me um, just kind of out of the blue was in 1 Peter. We'll go back to 1 Peter if you want to turn there. Chapter 3, 13 and 15. Who will harm you if you are deeply committed to doing what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you're blessed. Do not fear what they fear or be disturbed, but honor the Messiah as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Has anyone asked you a reason for the hope that is in you? I have never had that question in my entire life. What do they ask you? When Shep died, did they ask you about hope or did they ask you about peace? They didn't really ask me anything they were too scared to ask. <laughs> for me, if somebody comes to me and says, why are you different? They're not asking about the hope. Although I loved what Augusta shared, that they felt hope there on this, on this ship. That's a wonderful thing. But when they talk to me or somebody, if, this is what you're going to get. How can you be at peace in that storm? How can you have joy in your face with tears running out of your eyes? That's what they ask. And so I'm, I'm looking at this in Peter and I'm like, <laughs> I believe what I just wrote, but, but it doesn't seem to quite mesh with what Peter is saying. That they're going to ask you a reason for the hope. Get ready. They're going to ask you a reason for the hope that's in your heart. And I pondered it and I pondered it. And all of a sudden, through another analogy that I was thinking about, this is what suddenly dawned on me. Here's why they're going to ask you a reason, why Peter says they're going to ask you a reason for the hope. Paul says, now the God of hope fill you with joy and peace. Do you know what hope does? What anticipation does in you? This is what it does. It focuses you. I asked Eric the other day, I said, what's your favorite thing about Christmas? I was hoping he would say something like, the birth of Jesus, (laughs) singing Christmas carols, you, daddy. (laughs) He said, presents. (laughs) He is anticipating presents, and that's the focus of his mind. Listen, that's what hope does for us. This is where it becomes real for me. And it was like, I'm telling you, I was like drinking out of Niagara when I found this for me. It may not be for you, but this is what it is for me. When I am anticipating, and it can be in this life or in the the life to come, when I'm anticipating the return of Christ, when I'm anticipating also 
what Christ will do in me, what Christ will do through me, what Christ will do through our church, what Christ will do, what the Holy Spirit will do through OM Ministries. When I am anticipating the goodness that's going to come from Him, guess what I'm not going to be thinking about so much? The difficulties. Guess what I'm not going to be worried about so much? The discomfort. When it means, when it means that I have to go and share, and I'm anticipating what God is going to do through it, the going and sharing isn't going to be so difficult. They aren't going to ask me a reason for the hope. They're going to ask me a reason for the peace and the joy because of the hope. But if I lose hope, listen, you can be in here today, and this is a true statement. You can be in here today, and your heart can be with faith in Christ. You can believe, and you can be walking in faith, and you can be in despair at the same time. Why is that? Because you have lost the anticipation of what he's going to do. You have lost the anticipation of what's coming in a worst case scenario, and you've lost the anticipation of what he can do right here and right now. And it is very easy to do. On this stage in 2015, a group of men were singing, and it wasn't me. Some of you would remember it a group called This Hope. So influential in my children's lives and in my life. In 2015, we were sitting back there listening, and I tell you this, I felt like, and I told them afterwards, I, I was so discouraged that night. I had lost hope, right? I was looking at my life, I was looking at um, my children, and I, had, I had, was not anticipating, I was despairing of what the future held. And there's one of the men that sings with this hope. Um, his name is David and Abnett, and... I kind of singled him out and I said, I'm going to talk to him afterwards. And I went up to him and I said, you guys are for real. I said, what's your, what's your secret? And I, and I told him, I said, I'm struggling with my children. And it wasn't that they were bad. I just was worried. I was worried. Am I going to be, is my teaching going to be enough? Is God going to keep them? I don't want to lose my children, right? And David, David talked for me for a while. And he said, he said, let me tell you, he said, I went through that. His oldest son, he said, was, well, not a bad kid. He just didn't have a passion for the Lord. And, and David's father, I think it was his father-in-law, came to him and said, David, I want you to do something. And he gave him a scripture reading. It was 10 chapters a day. And it was, it was through the Bible. It wasn't just starting in, at the beginning to the end. It was like sweeping through it in various um, chunks. And he said, I started on that, Micah. And he said, three months in, Three months in, my oldest son came to me and said, Dad, I don't know what's changed, but I want whatever it is that you got. And he said, all I was doing, all I was doing was reading the scripture. You know what he was doing? He was going back to David. Why art thou cast down on my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God. And part of the way of doing that will be in the application. So, that's not the end of the story, though. David's wife, Carrie, died this year from cancer. And it was incredibly hard for me to hear that because their youngest is seven years old. David told me at the time when we were talking that night, he said after his oldest son sold himself out to the Lord watching his dad, he went off to somewhere in California, the college out there, he said he's burning down the campus for the Lord out there. He is so on fire. And when I found out that Carrie had died, it was more than just Carrie's death. I'll tell you this. 
Some of, my, some of the best songs that they sang were written by her. And I'd put myself in that place and i think, God, that is not fair. That man, that man gave himself for you. And I talked to them that night. As I said, how do you deal with family? They said, we come home. They leave when they're going on a trip. They would leave after their children went to bed. So they were there to put them in bed as often as possible. And they would get back as quick as they could to put them back and you know, to be there with them when they woke up. They spent their lives sacrificing to share the gospel, to share the message, and not to um, diminish their family at the same time. And Carrie dies. Hope takes you through difficulties. Not because it is something, but because it gives you something. It gives you a focus on something outside of you. Carrie wrote a Christmas song, one of the, one of the, to me, one of the most beautiful songs ever. I want you to listen to the words of it. I'm just going to read, um, or I'm going to quote them to you. I've thought about this so much in this Christmas season because that man, David, that I look up to has little children and he'll sit around a Christmas tree this year and mama won't be there. Quiet your heart tonight. Know that the Lord is here. In the midst of the twinkling lights, he will give Christmas cheer. Be still and gaze on him. Rest now and come again to the place where your heart can hear your maker, your safe retreat. Second verse, listen. Hope in the Lord this day. Trials are hard to bear. Kneel before him and pray. Cast on him every care. He will be all you need, counselor, Prince of Peace. So turn from your circumstance and look to the Lord at last. She wrote the perfect, the perfect answer to her family. She wrote the perfect answer to us. Here's where it hits me. What I'm anticipating, I'm thinking about. And what I'm thinking about sets my perspective. And we need a perspective shift in order to hope. We as Christians need a perspective shift oftentimes to hope in the Christmas season knowing what we know. You think that? Because all of us are dealing with difficulties. All of us deal with things that are not easy to go through. For you today... There's two things that if you want to, I'm going to throw them out to you for what it's worth. Two things that you can take with you that I think will actually change right now in your life, will will enable you to hope because it will focus. Here's the two things. Ponder the incarnation. I loved Christmas as a child, but I want to tell you something. It's not about the gifts to me now, but I cry during the Christmas season. And I'll tell you why I cry. I cry because of the incarnation. It's something now that has become so real to me. So absolutely beyond comprehension. But it is incredible. You know, God made us at the beginning and he made us in his image. And then at the incarnation, he made himself into our image. And he will bear that image forever. Christ Cannot He chose that forever and ever he will be our brother, literally. Ponder that. Ponder that when you're having a hard time. When you're out shopping 
and there's just a long line in front of you and it's so disturbing to you. I'm saying that snarkily. Ponder that when things are actually hard and you lose someone that you love. Ponder that, Amy Witten, when I don't get the porch done in time for you. (laughs) Poor lady, she's had to deal with a lot of disturbing thoughts about me, I'm sure. (laughs) Ponder that, Landon and Courtney, when nothing goes right day after day. Ponder that when your children aren't acting the way you think Christians should act. Ponder that when there's a struggle between you and your spouse. Ponder that when you look at the world and there's a great deal of awful in it. Go back to the incarnation and see what God has done for you. And secondly, do what David told me seven years ago. Get this thing back out. And start looking. And you can start with the incarnation and you can start looking at the Messianic prophecies and you can see what God did down through the years. Because there's a verse, there's a verse in Romans 15. Let's go back there if you want to go. There's a verse in Romans 15. This is what it says. For whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from the scriptures. If you're running low on hope, You're going to struggle to choose joy. And you are going to struggle to have peace. Get your focus back on him who was incarnate for us 2,000 years ago. George MacDonald's quote. Hope is a bud upon the plant of faith. A bud from the root of faith. The flower is joy and peace. We're going to close with this benediction. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Merry Christmas. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check us out on YouTube and Facebook to get to know us and see what God is doing here in Surrey. Be blessed. Be blessed.